idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is MJ Benias. MJ is the author of The UFO People, A Curious Culture. He is an educator, writer, and blogger. He was a former field investigator with MUFON and has been featured on multiple podcasts and radio shows and contributes to Mysterious Universe and Rogue Planet. His work has been included in Vice, 14 Times, Fate Magazine, and a book entitled UFOs, Reframing the Debate, an excellent book, I might add. He lives in Canada with his wife, two children, and a massive cat. MJ, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me. This is, uh, this is very exciting for me. Yes, welcome, MJ. We're, we're excited to have you on the show. Totally. I, I did a little binging to date. I always do that the same day, so I feel fresh. <laughs> yeah, I do that too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get started, as always, there's a death. I always announce it. And so this one, since it, I think it ties into this show and everything we talk about. So I just wanted to give my condolences to everyone that loved Stanley Love, dancer, choreographer, Juilliard trained, New York City celebrity. If you just hashtag Stanley Love, you'll see all the wonderful tributes going on for him. And he was the first person I called a friend. I met him when I was six and he was five. So... And the thing that makes this one different is it is, you know, there's that one first friend you have. And we were so close for so long uh, that it's, you know, it's hard to separate the early me and my foundation of going to the woods and making forts and feeding the fairies and all this stuff and dancing. Oh, my God. So much stuff. So this one's different. I don't believe we die, so I don't have that kind of morning experience with it. But this is different in that it's a piece, it's a bit of my roots. And uh, it's on the level of, you know, when my mother died decades ago. It's, you know, it's that close in. So I love you, Stanley, forever. And I uh, just wanted to say that. So let's get on with the show. <laughs> I'm the death, the death talker. Death merchant. You're the fucking death merchant. I have had a lot of deaths of people I know in the last two years. It's rather shocking. Like I said, I think Generation X and millennials are are targeted, and so, but that's a discussion for another show. So MJ, this is thrilling. I I was having such a good time digging into the stuff you have on YouTube that, and you've actually put out uh, some of the details that we start with, which is uh, your early life. So give us a little, a look back to the earliest part of your life you can remember and uh, stuff that influenced the very early you, cartoons, nature, sure. any of that kind of stuff that just sticks out. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's it's weird to talk about um you know like your very early past in your childhood when you're uh you know in this community because you never really get the opportunity to so um this is cool um I, you know i think my my early childhood was was fairly standard in some ways and then just kind of different in other in a lot of other ways so um i was i was generally sort of a, an outdoorsy kind of kid um, but I was also a, a nerd at the same time. So I had this weird upbringing. My my parents uh, were were very 
adamant about me going to sort of summer camp and we had a trailer out in sort of a, like the, the woods kind of thing, um, you know, on, on a rented sort of camping spot. And, and uh, you know, I lived um, in this sort of almost forested area. It was a massive park that, that, that we rented a spot in and it was just trees everywhere. Um, so I, I definitely sort of lived out um, in nature often, um, and and I still do. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of of making sure my kids have a similar upbringing. Um, so so we have a place out sort of in the middle of nowhere in the woods as well because you know I want them to hug trees and stuff. Um, so I, that was part of it. Um, so there was always the mystery for me of of you know what's around the corner or what's you know on the other side of these woods. Um, and then on the flip side. Um, I was also, you know, a super geeky, dweeby kid um, who always got picked on at school and, and was really into Star Trek and Star Wars and playing Dungeons and Dragons and, and science fiction and, and all that. So um, those are sort of my earliest memories. The vast majority of my friends, you know, kind of participated in the same stuff I did. You know, we all went to camp together and we all had these little trailers, you know, near each other in this sort of forest. Um, and then, you know, on the, and then in the wintertime and, and when we weren't out there, we'd be, um, you know, at each other's houses, you know, playing video games or Dungeons and Dragons and, and, um, you know, watching cheesy science fiction movies, um, and monster movies. So that was, that was my, my childhood upbringing. Um, my parents probably made some questionable decisions from a parenting standpoint, you know, letting their, their very impressionable young son watch the X-Files when he was way too young or, um, you know, <laughs> episodes of, of uh, Star Trek and Sherlock Holmes and, and all of these sort of murder mysteries and stuff like that that became a, a huge aspect of, of my life. Um, even to this day, I, I still love watching that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, that, that's sort of the earliest framework, I guess, of my childhood I can sort of piece together. Yeah, but did your but parents I... consider you the experiment child? I was an only child, so there was okay. no other option. Okay, um, yeah. I have no siblings, right? So yeah. um, they, 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 all of their eggs went into one basket mm -hmm. at this point. I hear that. Well, clearly it was not a bad thing to have you exposed to all that wonderful sci-fi. Look where it's led you. It, I mean, it's a direct connection. And uh, I think it's wonderful to see. And it, it does on some level, open the imagination up in wonderful ways. It, uh, I, I agree know. with you, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I noticed that though with, with my kids, um, my, my children are still very young, so they're not really into TV or movies yet. They're still, they're still too small to appreciate it. Um, you know, my daughter can sit through 20 minutes of a, of a film before having to just like run around. Um, but but with, with summer and, and being outside the lake and the cabin, you can see the imagination sort of forming, right? She's, she, you know, they're both the kind of kids who can just pick up a stick and walk out into the woods and they're gone for hours. Um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm sort of watching them, but um, I'm not some awful parent, but, um, you know, they're kind of out in the woods kind of doing their own thing, you know, with a stick. And then that's, that's the extent of their toys and they just run around and, and make up stuff and run down the paths and the trails. Um, you know, who knows what they're doing in their minds, but um, it's interesting to watch them develop that sort of imagination um, where they have the luxury of, of you know, acres and acres of, of empty forest um, that, that they could just play in. Um, so I, I, hope, I hope some of my insanity rubs off on them a little bit and they can sort of have that creative aspect as well. <laughs> yeah, I I, th I consider that a gift as well. And it, it's, and I, I, actually, the deeper into this digital world we get, I think that the 
that's going to pay off in a very large way because it seems like so many kids are detached from nature. So this is, you know, kudos to you. That's grandparenting in my opinion. And I certainly had that with the going in the woods. It, it formed me. When, when you were little, were you one of those kids that made forts and all that? Oh man. Yeah. We would, we would go all over the place and we would find these, um, they're great. They're they're when, when trees collapse and then fall down, right. Um, they split. Um, if a lot of times where I am, we have a lot of uh, pine trees and, and, uh, jack pine trees. So they're, they're very, they have the, the needles, right. They're, they're, um, conifers. So, so the way they fall, um, over about two years, all the needles fall off, but the weight of all the branches pushes this, it creates this almost canopy um, on the ground. So you have this log, this whole tree that's just kind of lying on its side, and then it's resting on this massive canopy of brambles and, and, and branches, and it creates this perfect fort for any kid. Um, you just kind of go in there and you, you cut away at a few pieces, you make yourself a little entrance, and then you're totally surrounded by this sort of bushy, brambly, kind of gnarly um, fortress that is impenetrable. Um, and it's the neatest thing because you can fit, depending on the size of the tree, we had, we had trees out where we were, you know, you could fit five, six kids in there comfortably and we would, you know, we'd build little chairs or, you know, we'd bring a little table in there. We, you know, I'd go to find a, a small little plastic table by the campfire that my dad has and I'd steal it and run off with it and we'd stick it in there and we'd, you know, play cards or whatever. So yeah, we totally were fort builders. Um, we would store food in there sometimes where, you know, probably inappropriately because we weren't afraid of bears. We should have been, um, you know, we'd put food and coolers and we just like live in these things. Um, yeah, we did it all the time. That you sound like you'd be one of my friends. That's how we did. It was, you know, this was something that I noticed as, as a kid. It was, we were the outsiders, my little group of <laughs> family was involved. And that's kind of where we were able to be ourselves and which developed these amazing, you know, we're eccentric, we're eccentric people. We actually got a sense of knowing ourselves by being outsiders and then creating that relationship. And so I, I was wondering about you with that. You, you'd mentioned you got picked on a little bit in school. Did, was that, did that pay off for you as far as this getting into D&D &D and forts with your friends and all this kind of really enchanting, fascinating stuff that was going on when you weren't in school? Um, you know, in, in, maybe in, in, in a certain way, it's, it's interesting. I, I was never, I grew up always being a follower. Um, so I would often befriend the people who I shouldn't have befriended. And I would maintain friendships, even with people who, who were bullies and, and, and abusive. Um, and I don't know why that is. It's just I had this need to please everyone, I think, when I was younger. Um, as I got older, I realized that that that's not a, a healthy way to live. So that's definitely not me anymore. But I think what what it formed when it comes to sort of an identity um, was one the the ability to to almost camouflage myself into other groups and just kind of lay low and, and stay in the shadows a little bit and and, and not take the spotlight. Um, because I, I was never that type of person. I, I was never someone who liked the spotlight. I was never a leader. I was, I was always the one who was willing to take commands and just keep their head down 
um, and maintain a circle of friends. But um, like I said, as I got older into my teens, I realized that that was sort of no way to live a life. Um, and I think what 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 it forced me to do was reflect upon that um, and 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 now carry into sort of my old age now. Um, you know, the fact that those types of people exist, right? Those those sort of kids in the corner um, who are the followers and they don't know how to be leaders and they don't know how to establish healthy and proper relationships. Um, and ultimately, you know, help them find their their place. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a school teacher sort of as my full-time, you know, mortgage-paying job. I teach middle school, so I teach 14-year-old kids. Um, and, and it's great because ultimately I, I'm the one who sort of attracts all the, the kids who, who are sort of the the dweebs and the nerds, right? Because they kind of see that in me and, and we have like a D and D club and, and we played, you know, board games at lunch and whatever. Um, you know, and all the, the other kids kind of, you know, do their thing. They play sports or whatever. And then I sort of collect these little broken toys and, and, you know, basically tell them you're not actually a broken toy. You're just a different toy. Um, and you can do whatever the hell you want. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think it's shaped that in a way for me. Um, I, yeah, that's an interesting question. I have to kind of reflect more on that now it's it's great to hear and uh yeah again i think i think you you're definitely my kind of people and uh it, it brought up brought to mind so this kind of little look into earlier you brought to mind what sun sign and rising and moon are you if you know the other two i i, I don't know what you're talking about sorry <laughs> do you know what sun sign you are your astrological sign Oh, um, this is like, yes, um, I'm, I'm a cancer. <laughs> okay. Cancer. Oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Happy belated birthday. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's excellent. So into the pop culture stuff early on. Mm -hmm. So the sci-fi and all that, did you experience any of the, like the terrors, like the thing under the bed or. Oh man. Yeah. Dark? Yeah, um, I was one of those kids who, after watching, you know, a scary TV show, a scary movie, I couldn't sleep, and I would hide under my bed covers um, because every single bump or or noise in the house, right, would would send me into a panic. I was totally one of those kids. I should, like I said, you know, my parents maybe made some questionable choices. Like I was afraid to go to bed. Um, yeah, I remember having like nightmares and night terrors about the stuff I used to watch. Um, I can't remember what it was. I was watching, um, a, oh man, my, my parents were weird. My, <laughs> we were watching this strange, it was like an A&E documentary on like the Chupacabra, right? And I mean, obviously I'm like eight or something or seven and, and my, my parents were watching this because they were kind of into it too. And, and I remember watching this, this, this awful CG and these animated pictures and stuff of this creature, you know, killing goats and chasing cars. And I remember standing up to to use the bathroom and I started walking down in my basement and it had sort of had this long hallway in, in, in my parents' basement and the lights were off um, because unfortunately we had this, this, this awful lighting that if you had the lights on in front of the TV, it would reflect and you couldn't see the TV. So um, the lights were off and I'm walking towards the bathroom and my mom had this, uh, I guess it was a stand a plant stand so it was a stool basically that you know a pot a potted plant would sit on but it it looked like legs um and it 
my the, my my parents jokingly put like a little pair of jeans on it to make it seem like legs holding up this potted plant. And I remember walking down the the hallway and I totally forgot it was there. And I turned the corner to to step in the bathroom and there's these legs there. And I jumped. I must have hit the ceiling. I jumped so high and I screamed and ran for my life because I was convinced that was the chupacabra standing right there. Like it scared the crap out of me. Um yeah, so and it was I was such a jumpy kid after these shows. Um, and I still almost am to a point, even as an adult, I'll watch, you know, uh, um, um, like I'll watch like the walking dead or I'll watch, you know, some horror movie. And, and I kind of almost kind of still like, I'm in my basement. It's dark. Am I going to turn the corner and see this thing? Right. I, I'm, you know, I'm still very much like that, that in that kind of mentality. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. It gets you right in the mood. That is, uh, y- you know, that's, that's like a, a roundabout description of suspension of disbelief in oh, a way. Yes. Oh, my, yeah. There, okay. This one just came to mind because now you're talking about it and now you're, you're raising <laughs> all these memories. So I, I'm a big, I still am a big fan, but I was a huge fan of um, the Sherlock Holmes TV series out of the 1980s from the BBC with Jeremy Brett. Have you ever watched this, this show? It's an old British. It's from the yes, 80s. I did. And I loved it. Jeremy Brett, yeah, and and it was it was like a BBC special. They did whatever you know, five or six seasons of this, and it, it's you know, I my parents were into it. I was into it. I love Sherlock Holmes. I love the idea of the mystery. I, I love all this stuff. And there was this one one of the stories, and, and one of the episodes was um, uh, it was called the Dancing Men, and this this it was this plot that this guy was was drawing these symbols on people's in people's yards and they were it was basically a, a language that they had invented because they all worked together in the past to like rob banks or they had some sort of criminal organization and these dancing men symbols are like stick men that were in different positions um and they meant stuff and it would scare people and then obviously people would die because they got this message and they'd freak out whatever anyway in in one of the scenes a guy is, is dreaming and he's sleeping and he sees these men dancing like these stick figures kind of very quickly cutting and they they look like they're dancing in in his mind I remember I had nightmares about that for some reason. Like I went to bed as a kid and I had similar dreams where there were these dancing stick figured men and it scared the hell out of me. And, and I still like every once in a while will that'll pop into my mind. And it, it, it really affected me as a kid. Um, and I have no idea why um, it's totally like silly. And, and, you know, upon reflection, like I, I can't imagine why anyone would be scared of like drawn stick figure men. Um, but I still am. I find them eerie. I love this story. Thank you. That is interesting that it would spark such a yeah. a significant reaction from you, considering that it's not like terror, you know, no. or anything. It's stick but figures. I think it was because the, the 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 person in it who was having the dream was so viscerally afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Know, I almost became afraid of it. Right? Transference. Um, yeah. Yeah. I could I could sort of imagine his fear. Yes. Um, and it became you know, real for me in a sense. Um, but I think, I think there's something sort of fascinating there. I mean, ultimately his fear of these sort of sticky figures was totally nonsensical because, you know, you should be afraid of the person who's drawing them um, because the person who's drawing them is the one who's going to kill him and he knows it. Um, and I think that that's kind of what's interesting is, is he is, he's, he's not sure what to be afraid of, right? He's not sure whether he should be afraid of the stick figures or, or what they symbolize or, you know, the murderer himself that Sherlock Holmes is eventually going to bust. So um, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm compelled to, to be like, I'm sort of unaware of what to actually be afraid of, um, you know, and, and, and it's interesting how fear kind of works that way, right? We're, we're sort of unsure 
of of what we ought to fear and what we ought to find um not scary i guess true however the astrologers in the house would would pull up to the fact that since you're a cancer sun which is all we know on your your natal chart that you are able to you know the water signs in particular very psychic like empathically psychic so that you you know it's possible you pick up on these emotions and you internalize them and so i'm just saying for the astrologers there's grit there there's uh something to grab onto that is logical and and for me certainly because i love astrology it so it all leads me to were you brought up with a particular religion yeah i was um i was born ukrainian catholic so oh, it's it's basically cool. it's basically catholic um <laughs> it's just it's a it's a it's an easter it's a the orthodox tradition Yes. Um, so when the Roman Catholic Church um, ventured into sort of the the, the Eastern European countries, um, there was um, it was already established as a Catholic Church, but then you had a major division um, between Orthodox and Catholic, um, and then some of the churches chose to join the Roman Catholic Church, but they maintained the Eastern tradition rights of of the Orthodox Church. Um, so anyway, I was born Ukrainian Catholic, uh, are you which is Ukrainian? still my both of my parents are. Yes, my parents are Ukrainian. Wasn't it um, the Ukrainian uh, bishop or something that went down to Antarctica? Um, in twenty sixteen. Uh, I, th- I, I don't know. The, well, the Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think that's one of my favorite flavors of Catholicism. My name's Danishka, of course, hmm. and uh, I, I love that flavor because they, there is still a lot of the there's a lot of the old stuff in there that makes it kind of mystical. I mean, the Catholicism is mystical to me. Personally. It's incredibly mystical. Yeah, I'm, I'm Roman Catholic now. I, I, I became well, I didn't really become Roman Catholic. You just kind of cross the aisle <laughs> in a sense yes. um so um you know i I'm, I'm roman catholic um but it is it's a very very you know mystical and magical um religion beautiful. absolutely yeah. beautiful it's uh i'm inspired i'm always sad when i hear people that are having a oh have baggage with it and i certainly get it i i wasn't i didn't get any religion pushed on me so i don't have any and i get the idea of having religious baggage for sure no doubt however if you just look back if you just look at it it's just such a beautiful sense of devotion to the mysteries and it's just got such beautiful aspects to it and the orthodox stuff in particular i mean it's just really i mean to me i'm gonna say this it's really witchy <laughs> yeah I, i'm not i mean i hopefully you know um you know the the nuns that i go to church with aren't listening but um no um <laughs> excuse me um but um i i agree there there's I, I being raised Ukrainian Catholic, there's there's a very the, the the two perspectives of of Roman Catholicism and and Ukrainian Catholicism or the Orthodox Church um, are very interesting um, and and I'm not sure if if you know Orthodox Christians would agree with me, um, but but there's this within the the Eastern tradition there's this very top down approach right you know God is up there and we're down here 
Um, yes. and, and our job is to continuously sort of ask for, for help and mercy. Um, and, and, you know, if you don't ask hard enough, you don't get it, right? Um, within, and, and as a Roman Catholic, it was very interesting because the, the, it's flipped on its head. The, the idea within Roman Catholicism is, at least I would say ideologically, is that, that, that um, the divine is with you. Um, you, are, you are an aspect of the divine and the divine is an aspect of you and, and um, you interact with it on a base level. Um, you know, it, it's, it's an aspect of self, right? Yeah. You know, St. Saint, Saint Paul, you know, sort of famously wrote that, um, you know, the way of, of God is the way of the people and the way of the people is the way of God, right? Like it's this as above, so below um, sort of uh, her, um, hermet hermetic philosophy, right? And, and St. Paul was a good sort of esoteric writer. Um, the Catholic Church doesn't like to say that, but he really was. He's kind <laughs> of one of the earliest guys who, who said stuff like, um, you know, there's, there's no such thing as man or woman, you know, Jew or Greek, you know, um, the, everyone is part of one system, right? You are all part yes. of one, um, yes. e eternal divine cosmic order. Um, you are all parts of the, the larger, um, machine, I guess is, is the, the weird term, the weird way to say it. But, you know, he's, he's, like I said, he's a good hermeticist. Um, and, and, you know, Catholics kind of go like, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? But uh, let's be honest, he, he definitely studied his, his, you know, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny when I talk to other Catholics because we sort of talk about how, how connected it all is. Um, and, and I kind of start dropping in these ideas of, you know, hermeneutics and stuff like that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, hold on, man. And, and then we get into weird conversations. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> I, I love Paul and I also but with the, the orthodox stuff I like the idea of the ladder the ascension to yeah. to the the godhead whatever that is and again right. I wasn't raised in this so I see it I see it more as an occultist and a magician I guess and so there's there's something to that in the in the end, it's all within us. So I'm I'm definitely more in the Roman side of this, it, but I like the imagery that one gets from the Orthodox stuff, and it, it serves in a in a story in a story that's relatable with a, with a journey, and that right. ladder is part of the journey up to, and right. uh, with the mechanism of projection into the outer world it just it's got a lot of grit and juice to it well, and it's created a lot of very interesting people oh for sure and i think it speaks to to the success like the historical success of of christianity and, and catholicism and even orthodoxy as um a, as the 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 largest religion on the planet i mean it at the time when it first came about um you know it, it manifested in a uh, very Platonic and and Aristotelian world, it was like like esotericism and hermeticism was like the 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 key ideas that were flourishing within philosophies at the time. Um, but it butted up against the the world order, right? And and ultimately, you had all these Greeks running around who were totally hippy dippy philosophers, um, <laughs> who were super artists, and they were basically talking about you know, what the divine was and what it meant to be a person and that everything is interconnected and, you know, as above, so below. That was totally the philosophy of, of, of Greek thinkers at the time. Yes, um, yeah. And they were being oppressed, right, by this, this powerful, very, very dominant culture in Rome um, that, that 
really maintained law and order over everyone and, and was this sort of very wishy-washy, um, you know, you can believe whatever you want so long as you pay us taxes and you sort of just, you know, basically <laughs> say the emperor is a god, we'll be okay with that. Yes. Um, but, you know, everything was sort of business. It was a very good, you know, Rome was a very good sort of empirist, like, you know, f- sort of fascist capitalist system that, that was, it was wonderful. Um, and then you suddenly had this, this sort of little religion that kind of pops up that starts kind of rekindling these, these old Greek ideas that everything's connected. In. And not only that, it, ties in, it tied in a lot of politics, right? I mean, the, the Christ, early Christianity was very much a, listen, it's better to be poor. It's better to have a shitty life. Sorry, I can I swear on your show? Um, it, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's better to have a, a really bad life um, because, you know, the divine functions in, in poverty and the divine functions in weakness. And, and if you're quiet and weak and, and hurt, that's where the divine exists. The, the haughty and the powerful, they, they've lost their, their, their access to the divine. The divine doesn't like that. Um, you know, the divine doesn't want people who, who think they don't need the divine, right? Um, so it, it flourished. I mean, you had, there's a lot more poor people all the time than there are wealthy people. Yes. Um, and, and it, it flourished in an era where, where you had this oppressive power. Um, and ultimately, you know, there's a reason why there's something like 1.3 or 1.4 billion Catholics or something. And, and this is the largest religion on the planet. Um, because it still speaks to the poor, I think, in a way. Um, well, and look where we are. Times of, you know, that the more times things change, the more they say the same. Here we are still with the majority being, you know, the, with the pyramid, right? With the very few at the top and the majority of us are below. Right. Yeah, on these exactly. scales, on this, in, at least in the scheme, schema of things. Oh, right. I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, you look at you, you look at where where Christianity as religion is thriving, right? It's it's in Africa, it's in Asia. Yes, it, it's in it's in the global south, right? Um, yes. And, and the, the global east. Less educated areas, in other words. Um, I wouldn't use the term less educated. I would use the term. Um, I would say where 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 poverty is is still incredibly rampant. Where where there's incredible. Um, uh, uh, government control um despotism um you know a situation where where there is no hope for people um and you know every day is is a struggle um you know i think within western nations you know we have a lot more comfort we have a lot more security so so we can rely on ourselves um and and on our own um and i use the term entitlement our own um uh, oh shoot i forgot the word um like when you have stuff um privilege our own privilege thank you very much to kind of you know keep us out of um suffering let's say or starvation or whatever um you know I, this is a, this is getting into, into heavy political discourse and, yeah, and don't, <laughs> i don't want to go there yeah. well but with this and we're tying this always back in i'm guiding us here we're always coming back to dreams it is it is this particular narrative that it's it's people that are have less are having a harder time struggle struggling that find the depth and find meaning in in synchronicities even if they don't pull up to the idea of synchronicities and where structured religion comes in is a set of symbols uh 
that that serves a purpose and it plays out in their unconscious in the dream world in the ethers in the otherness and it it you know aside from all the political stuff tied into religion that's a higher function and that whereas people that are comfortable in life they don't need they often don't think about these things until the glass house shatters you know they've gotten uh, right an ill health diagnosis or someone close to them has passed on or, you know, something that shakes the foundation. And so this is, this is always something that has drawn, I've, I've been drawn to people that understand suffering. And uh, I, I feel like those that have moved through and have worked on themselves, whatever, whatever the system they're using is, you can tell it's there. So, you know, I have friends that are very devout Christians that I've grown up with and, you know, there's no judgment on either side. You know, they're not trying to convert me. Uh, Right. But so this, so coming back with this state of consciousness and with all this in mind, what were your dreams like? So we left off a little bit in the, the night terrors and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the early you, and now we can bring you up forward a bit, but still the earlier you, the first half of your life, what were your dreams like? And what were the dreams? Did you have a lot of dreams of or were there night terrors that were coming through, uh, through the ethers to you? Were, was, were things vivid? What was going on in your dream world? Man, um, you know, I can recall one one night terror specifically i can't recall any others just off the top of my head uh, i had one i think that was that was sort of very startling um to the point where i still remember it like i can still like i can i can replay it in my mind like a like a like a tape um the the rest of my dreams though you know i i did have a lot of of lucid dreams where where i was able to sort of maneuver myself inside them um i i have when Whenever I, I am dreaming and I don't like where a dream is going, um, I'll often wake myself up. Um, so I've always had the ability to recognize when I was in a dream or when I wasn't. Um, so, so I can often, like I'll often be in the middle of a dream and I can recall basically telling myself, being like, nope, I'm out. And I would just wake myself up and not you know, engage with that dream anymore. And I would try to shift gears. Um, you know, I could wake myself up, get out of bed, walk around, come back to bed to, to, to like reset the brain in a sense. Um, so I wouldn't have to, you know, deal with that again. Um, but when it, when it comes to sort of the dreams I remember, I have to be honest, I'm one of those people who doesn't remember very much. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, so, so I can tell you about my, my one night terror that I had, I suppose. Um, and we can start yes. there and we'll see if that rekindles anything. Yes, lay that on us. Um, so I must have been, maybe I was 10. Something that I, was, I wasn't a teenager yet. Um, but, and, and I don't remember what brought it on. So I don't have, I don't have like a, a, a context to provide. I can't remember if I watched a movie or, or anything like that. I think I was, just, I was in bed. So I recall. Um, and, and I was lying in my bed and this, I had a, a sliding door. So my bedroom had one of those weird sliding doors that went into the wall. It was a very 1960s house. Um, so, so all I remember in the dream was lying there and then hearing my bedroom door slide open um, quite forcefully. And I, and I sort of sat up and, and in the doorway was this sort of tall black 
figure of a man, but he was totally just a black shadow. There was no face. There's no features. Um, almost like it was just like he didn't. It was just a shadow. Um, and it stood in the. He stood in the doorway. Um, and I, being ten, was very afraid. So I closed my eyes and pretended to be asleep. Didn't want to get out of bed. I was. I was. You know, very afraid. Um, and he he walks into my room and and he sat on the 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 edge of the bed right next to me and I remember feeling like the bed compress under his weight um, and then um, I, I was I was still pretending to be asleep I, I didn't know what to do I mean I was ten years old and then I felt um, like his hands wrap themselves around my neck and he basically like th- like throttled me like choked me um and i remember lying there um trying to breathe trying to scream trying to move and i remember i couldn't um i i almost i opened my eyes and and i remember seeing this black shadow um you know hands wrapped around my neck and i had an almost like i had this odd out of body experience in my dream where where i sort of left my body within the the nightmare and 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 watched myself not be able to move and almost reflected strangely in that moment of you know it's odd that you're not moving right now like you should be flailing around and for some reason like your arms can't move your legs can't move it's like you're totally frozen um and then um i don't know what happened um, this this went on for what seemed like minutes, uh, and then suddenly I sort of popped back into my body, and I opened my eyes, and and I was in my room. There was no shadow person. The door was still closed, and I was clearly awake at this point. Um, and I obviously had a, a you know my neck hurt, right? Um, it was like a, almost like a shadow pain, right? Um, and and that's then and then I sort of just I was startled awake, and I I just got up, and and I remember I think I went upstairs and then told my parents. I probably crawled into bed with them, um, and and that was that was the 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 extent of it. But it, but I I can remember, like I like I said, I can I can see it to this day. Um, I don't think I've ever encountered a dream sort of so frightening, um, to the point where I can replay it like that in my mind. You know, this is a classic sleep paralysis story. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty confident that's all it, all it really was. Well, that's not, I mean, all is, a, is, is rushing over it because that's a, it's, sleep paralysis is significant. It is a state of being lucid, but you're in between these, yes. these states. It's a very big deal, I think. I mean, I still, I still just, I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> when it happens and i recently just had an actual terror experience myself and i haven't in years but i pu- i find myself pushing into it because it's so fascinating and takes you right into the now and what is the now the now is actually high lucidity and so this is a great one and the fact that you had this kind of phantom pain in your neck too mm-hmm. really significant it's, yeah. So 10 years old too, that I imagine, you know, I can tell it stayed with you. So it had to be alarming for sure. Yeah, it was very strange um, because I, I, I was never able to, I, and I still like to don't know why or what brought it on. Um, but it was very funny because I, uh, before I got into UFOs um, and, and started researching the, the UFO subculture and, and, and re- doing research for the book and, and, you know, all of this process, 
um, I chummed around a bit with a, a local ghost hunting group. Um, and I, I wasn't really an investigator or anything like that. I was just, I kind of answered their emails um, because they just needed someone who could, you know, handle the email and, and the like, not the business aspect, but just the communications aspect because they were all busy. Um, so I decided, you know, this is interesting. I was kind of getting into the paranormal subculture so again, sort of from an academic standpoint, just kind of trying to research and meet these people because, you know, that, that's what my book's really about. That's who I'm, that's what I'm really interested in is, is subcultures and studying subcultures. Um, so I started chumming around with these paranormal investigators and they're, and, and they're still friends today. Uh, but um, I went on an investigation with them because I'd never done it before. I had answered all these emails. I had talked to all these witnesses and, and, and got their stories down and booked um, all these paranormal investigations, but I never really did any. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go on one, you know, I'm just going to just on a lark. Um, because at the time I didn't really believe it. And I was in this, we were in this house talking to this family um, and the, the young boy um, who was probably nine or 10 at the time talked about and told us that he often sees what he, and he called him the shadow man at his door. Um, and, and this was, he wasn't really scary. He wasn't really kind. He just sort of at night would come and stand by his door and look into his room. Um, and the boy would see him and then, the shadow man would just stand there for a little bit and then walk away and, and, you know, leave the room and, and do something else. And when I heard this, I remembered, like, I remember listening to the boy tell me this story and just like the hair on my neck. And, and like, I, I just got hit with like these chills, right? Because that's, that's sort of what I saw, right? I had this odd shadow man experience as a young boy. Um, and, and it, 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 it was an odd I don't want to use the term synchronicity because I'm not sure if it was, but it was an odd event for me um, because it was, it brought back right. The, the, the dream and, and, and everything that I had experienced and was like, Oh my goodness, this is, this is weird that this little 10 year old kid is, is seeing this, this shadowed man standing in his door, which is like what I saw. Right. Um, so it was an interesting experience. Um, you know, unfortunately the house wasn't haunted. But, um, like we couldn't, we couldn't find any evidence, I suppose, but um, it was a, an interesting moment in in um, my early sure. yeah in my early subcultural study of of the paranormal community. I have I wonder so moving into this a little deeper. I wonder if uh, what are your thoughts on the shadow man that you encountered and then you reencountered through this child on this investigation. So the paralysis experience, if we strip that out of it and we look at uh, the being and the beings that people experience with them, and and certainly since I just had one uh, recently, well, I've had a few, but one where I had a face, got a a face and it's looking in at me. It was Hmm. so scary. And uh, what are your thoughts? And especially, so I'm asking you this and asking you this in a way of putting on your investigative hat here so from the modern you especially what are your thoughts on these as as entities uh that come to you know possibly feed on us or or whatever their agenda is and not not from the psychological standpoint but that these these are entities in and of themselves and for me my experience recently certainly this did not feel like a externalized shadow form from my unconscious content. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was 
I'm, I feel pretty secure in the fact that this actually felt like an astral being and it was pushing and driving its own vehicle. So sure. where do you stand there? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's such a, a difficult question because unfortunately when it comes to, to the, especially within the UFO community, um, we get so mired in, in ideological constructs that, that we've created ourselves and we sort of attribute to you know, whatever the other is. Um, so so I, I'm prepared to go down the road that there exists and there always has existed some sort of other that, that we engage with in some way. Um, you know, I can't comment and I can't secure myself to a position that it's extraterrestrial or it's interdimensional or it's, you know, the, the, the typical sort of often cited, almost like tropish to a point, um, you know, examples that exist that they're, they're the reptilians and the grays and 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 all this stuff i i can't go down that road because i don't think that there's enough for that um i don't think we've done the basic work yet to, to get to to those statements as being sort of truth statements but um when it comes to the 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 objective let's say existence of of this other whatever it is i think we're dealing with something that uses us as a sort of sounding board um, you know, I'm prepared to go down that road because because we can catalog historically that that um, you know there were more sightings of certain types of entities in the past, and and those sightings have gone down today, and and there's more sightings now of, of more modern entities um, that that are sort of more in modern mythology um, that that are being witnessed more by people. So so let's say you know modern day would be you know post Second World War. You know you're you're seeing you know, a lot more technological monsters, um, you know, aliens and, and, and flying saucers and, and UFOs and, and that type of thing. Um, but, you know, 500 years ago, you didn't, you weren't necessarily seeing that. You were seeing more accounts of, of, of angels or, or elves or fairies. Um, you know, it's not that people don't see those today, but, but I would say the numbers have gone down. Um, so I think that, that whatever the other is, it, it uses our cultural frame of reference as a sort of point to ping off of. Um, and it allows itself to, to use that to, to become physical in some way or manifest in some way. Um, I'm really a big fan of, of Henry Corbin's, he's French, so I should say probably like Henri Corbin's um, version of the, the Mundus Imaginalis or the Imaginal Realm, right? Where um, it's, this, it's this battleground between our physical daily reality and, and, and the intellect um, and there's this sort of middle ground where the imagination dwells um, and, and aspects of, of our daily life filter into this imaginal realm. Our cultural zeitgeist, our ideologies, our filters, our, our, social, our, our social backgrounds, our values all filter in upwards into this imaginal realm. And, and our intellectual um, sort of uh, mental states sort of trickle down into it. And, and within this imaginal world, this middle world, you have the formation of of these these creatures and beings and things and ideas that can take shape and and, and form and and sort of spew outwards into our reality and and interact with us in some physical way. Um, so so when people have encounters with monsters, let's say, you know, it's not that when they it, an encounter with the monster stops, the monster runs into the woods and it lives there and it just kind of hangs out in the woods and eats. And, and does this thing and then it finds someone else that monster i believe kind of disappears um until someone else bumps into something that, that kind of manifests that creature out of out of this 
sort of sounding board middle realm, imaginal realm, and sort of brings it back out into our world. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I like that. I dig that. It's in my book because um, I think it answers a lot of, and it creates a lot of solutions to a lot of problems when it comes to people's encounters with strange entities because there's just so damn many of them and, and half the time, like they're one-offs um, and they don't make sense. Um, and a lot of times they're sort of very culturally based. People are seeing aliens that they saw in movies kind of thing. Baba so, Yaga. Yeah, well, there you go. That's a good Ukrainian one, right? Baba Yaga is a great right. Ukrainian one, right? She has like chicken legs or something or she, her house has chicken legs. Yes. Or something yes. like in the original story. Yeah. Um, right? What do you so, think about, um, I, I've thought about this for a while too. And, and my conclusion on, I, I think you're right about the manifestation being local, localized, however you want to put it. Yeah. But I think what it is, is I think the, the mechanism behind that is more that the, there's an energy field that your energy field is interacting with and your brain is trying to render it for you or provide imagery. Sure. And that plays yeah. off of all your experiences. But it's in the nexus of those two fields is where these things occur, that liminal space. Yeah, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I think we are dealing with, with some sort of, of meeting of, of minds in a sense, right? That, that um, allows us to recognize it, whatever it is. You know, mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the, the old, um, there's, there's, this, the, there's this old idea that, that was, I think it was his name, was, I think the guy who wrote it, I can't remember it now. Damn it, see, I'm, 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 my brain is mush. I, little kids, right? Um, there's this old story that was, that was written by one of Christopher Columbus's, I believe, sort of um, lieutenants or the, the ship's doctor or something. And it's totally true, or sorry, it's totally untrue. It's totally sort of racially biased and tropish, and, and it's, it's sort of colonialist. So I'm not defending it politically in any way. But they, they made this claim that when the, the three boats um, appeared off the coast um, in, in South America um, and in the Caribbean, um, local indigenous groups couldn't see them, right? So, so they would these, you know, these local indigenous fishermen were fishing on their boats, and suddenly, you know, the Pinta, the Nina, and the Santa Maria would just park themselves, and and they, you know, these guys would get on these little boats and and start paddling out to the shore, and the fishermen would keep fishing, like they weren't there, um, and and the belief was that the technology that that the the Europeans had at the time was so advanced. That, that the local indigenous groups in South America and in the Caribbean couldn't fathom it, therefore they couldn't see it. It was so outside their realm of perception that, that, they, that the, the boats were invisible to them because they, they, weren't, you know, they couldn't see them. Now, that, we, that's silly. That, that's not necessarily true. I think that, that's total, just, again, colonialist bullshit. But I think... <laughs> the I idea think, of it. I think the, the interesting thing, though, from that, and then I think what we can learn from that is, is you know, the, the local indigenous groups and Columbus and the Europeans, they're still human and they're all, they're able to communicate with each other because we're all still human. I think if, if we were dealing, let's say, with an intelligence that was so outside of our humanity, so apart from us, so distant from us in every single possible way, biologically, um, you know, even, even physically in like the laws of physics kind of sense, right? It was so separate from us. Could we recognize it in its natural form only because we've been evolving and are still evolving for the last billion years or so um, to, to recognize the world directly around us, um, to, to filter out data that is unnecessary to keep us alive and only collect data that keeps us alive? 
um, you know, the bear and the food on the ground kind of thing. Um, you know, imagine if now if you're dealing with something so far outside of that, that, that biological upbringing, that, that evolutionary upbringing, it, it would be invisible to you, right? Um, if we're dealing with an intelligence that is so, so it's the antithesis to humanity, you know, would we be able to recognize it for what it is? Or would it just sort of be there and we would ignore it? Um, our filters would, would just filter that data. Out. Right, 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 right. Right. There was a, so, a, a movie years ago called Eric the Viking with Tim, oh, I forget his oh, name. Oh, I recall that, Jer. It had uh, Terry Jones from um, Monty Python and Tim right, Robbins. Okay. Tim Robbins was uh, Eric the Viking. Anyway, there's a scene in it where they're going conquering or what have you. They're in a boat with a Catholic priest, and the, the priest is praying to God or Jesus, whatever, to, to save them. And and they pray to, to Thor, and they get, oh, they were going to Valhalla, that's what it was. So anyway, they finally get to Valhalla, they travel there, I don't know how, and they're walking around and they're seeing all their, their, pe- their people who have died, and all the gods are there, the Norse gods, and the Catholic priest is looking around and going, who are you talking to? What are you right. seeing? <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't fathom, like you said, the idea of Norse gods when he's so... Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I think that's, that's, such, that's such a great analogy, right? I mean, it's, it's perfect. Um, you know, if there is an intelligence, but it's so far removed from us, it's going to need to somehow use us and our filters um, to, to allow it or allow us to see it, right? So, so I think that that's, that's an interesting little, it's speculative, it's purely speculative. I can't prove any of this. Sure. Um, but I think it's a, it's a, it's my current sort of I'll say I'll use the term belief system um, because it, it, it creates and it fixes, I think, a lot of errors or a lot of issues that we face within modern paranormal discourse. Um, we, like I said, we generate a lot of ideologies um, surrounding the phenomenon that we experience. The problem is that they all start to rub up against each other once you actually start having conversations with each other, right? Um, you know, what, what starts to occur is, is if, if if, if a person has a certain set of, of, you know, ideological belief, let's say in regards to extraterrestrials, well, any case that contradicts that is going to be by them deemed to be nonsensical or not possible. But the same thing happens on the other side, right? The people who have certain other beliefs are going to be like, well, what the hell, reptilians, that's stupid. Um, because it doesn't fit into their belief structure. Um, and I think we, but there's, this, there's this potentially movement towards sort of pan-paranormal uh, ideology where where we can sort of start having these conversations that you know ufos are identical to ghosts and they're identical to bigfoot and they're identical to other monsters and they're identical to psi phenomena and synchronicities it's all tied into one universal system um and i know that a lot of people don't like that i know a lot of people don't like you know poltergeists with their ufos or bigfoot mixed into their their um psi phenomena theory but um you know i think that's kind of once you start kind of looking at it in that wider perspective, you start to see a lot of similarities and a lot of um, things that run through, like the similar through lines that run in between these discourses. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's there. There, I've said my piece. One of the <laughs> things I've noticed that I see as an issue is the conflation of UFOs, the term UFO, with alien. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I I do think that there, what like the uh, the TTSA crap the tech tech and all that stuff. I think that's human tech. That's black tech. Sure. Or found ancient found tech. I don't think it's necessarily aliens, but they don't make that distinction. 
Well, so. I think I think that, that the gut reaction, I mean, the UFO community is, is um, and I'm a member of it, so I can say that, I can say this. <laughs> um, I think I think we're so mired in in the the idea of aliens, um, and and it all began really in like the nineteen forties and fifties. Nineteen forty seven, exactly. Yeah, and 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 really when when you know Donald Kehoe kind of came out and said, you know, it's got to be extraterrestrials because humans don't have this kind of technology. You you know, we suddenly bought in, and we're still kind of haunted by this ghost of of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Because I think what you have, especially now, I think I think millennials are are a little better at this. I think millennials are a little better at being like, well, hold on a second, like why do we think it's alien? Like where, like why is that belief system in place, right? Um, and, and, and what you have is with a lot of younger UFO researchers, they're very much prepared and willing to take aliens out of the equation and not even like, like they, they fall along the lines of it could be aliens, but it could also be a lot of other things. So yeah. let's yeah. talk about everything. Right. Um, and, and there is this, this, like I said, this ideological framework that exists within the UFO community to constantly deal with aliens as if it's like a given. Um, and the problem is the mainstream media has really latched onto that, right? Like the mainstream yeah. media loves it when, when people talk about UFOs because automatically the gut move is to then talk about aliens, and play the X-Files theme music and, 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 you know, all that, that sort of tropish crap because it's, it sells and it, it drives clicks and it, and it, you know, um, it, it, it it's sensational. It, it does sensationalize it. And, and the problem is the vast majority of UFO sightings, there's like no connection to aliens or extraterrestrials whatsoever. Mm-hmm. People just see weird stuff. Right. Um, and, and then you have these weird UFO sightings where people see weird stuff and then suddenly their house is like haunted for two weeks. Um, yes. yeah, <laughs> then, right. You know, like shit starts moving on its own and, and there's like books flying off shelves and then, you know, it kind of dies down. So it makes you wonder like, well, like what kind of aliens are these? Um, so I, I, I find it, I find it interesting to, to watch these, these, these movements and this, this ebb and flow of, of, of ideas that, that shape the UFO subculture. But you see this in the paranormal subculture too. Um, you know, like the paranormal subculture, especially with like ghost hunting, mm-hmm. um, the ideology of ghosts being the souls of the dead is, is huge, right? I mean, yeah, you, yeah. the vast majority of ghost hunters, if I walked up to a ghost hunting conference and said, you know, um, how do you know they're actually dead people? Um, you know, people would go ballistic on me, right? Right. Um, Souls or, or demons, don't forget. <laughs> yeah, right? A, a lot of Judeo-Christian sort sure. of... Um, but, but it's all been tied in, right? Again, you've had a whole history of mainstream and pop culture media feeding this notion. So when you mm-hmm. think about a ghost, you automatically go down the road that it's a dead person right. um, who's communicating to you from the afterlife. Mm-hmm. You know, if we actually kind of try to think about why that is, it, it would most likely tie to, to movies and books and... and, and yeah, and, we're well-programmed individuals. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I'm, I, I really like some... Uh, there's some funny UFO researchers... No, sorry, paranormal investigators out there. Have you ever... Do you know uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk? Yes. From, awesome. I love those people because they... Yes, they, we love them. They, they stroll into... They're the type of people because they're so unbiased, I think, ideologically. They walk into a bigfoot conference and give a lecture on why bigfoot is a ghost i i almost died when i when i heard their lecture and, and heard people talk about it because the bigfoot people were like that's crazy bigfoot's not a ghost he's an animal and they're like you know they they, they lost their minds this at was the possibility like, that someone was standing in front of them postulating that bigfoot's a ghost was um, that a cryptid con last year it was like a cryptid yeah i'm not yeah. sure it was last year it was two years ago okay i was at the like one that. last year and this year too yeah it was 
awesome because I mean, I, you can imagine these, these Bigfoot hunters who, who own guns and they go out in the woods and try to shoot Bigfoot. Um, you can't shoot a ghost. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it totally challenges their frame of reference. I love it. It was, it was it's the best. Well, one of the interesting things that I learned at the cryptid con when I was there was uh, from the guy who ran the Bigfoot museum in Cherokee, Georgia or wherever the hell we were. And after everyone left and we were just chatting, he's like, you know, what's really weird. Cause he was telling us how, um, so the rift, the anti ETH versus ETH rift that's grown in say the yep. UFO community. There's a similar one in the Bigfoot community between the BD, BDFRS or whatever BDF, whatever that Bigfoot group is called. Right. So they're, they're having a similar uh, schism within their group. And this guy, his name was David something, I don't remember. Very cool dude. He's telling us about how all the, re- he gets tons of reports, like almost, um, almost daily, I think he said, right. of, of Bigfoot sightings in his area. And he doesn't report a lot of them because most of them are weird. And he said he couldn't tell us how many times people have said that the Bigfoot was floating. Right. Yeah. That was that was the thing that got me. I'm like, okay, I see. Well, I, I think I think it, it stands to reason. I mean, you know, it, Bigfoot ha- is is being hunted all the time, right? There's a lot of people. So are ghosts. Who, exactly, and and with Bigfoot, no one's been able to you know bag one. Um, if it is an animal, right? Or it's right, not an animal. Bigfoot's not an animal. If Bigfoot was a flesh and blood creature being person like you and I are, right? You know, yeah, there would be evidence. Would have probably taken a shot by now or at least gotten something, right? So for I think a lot of people within the Bigfoot community, you know, if if there's no evidence and there's no there's no hard evidence yet, um, well, okay, we need to start looking at potentially other options here um as to what this is. And I think that this is the same thing, like within the UFO community, right? If we're just dealing with flesh and blood aliens like you and I, um this some one of these things has to leave evidence at some point i mean it's mm-hmm. flesh and blood like you and i it's gonna make a mistake right it's kind of um, shit <laughs> yeah exactly and and not only that you know i mean you know it's impossible that out of every every single contact or abduction has ever occurred like none of them ever left behind a pen you know what i mean like you know or, or a scrap of paper or or a needle or a syringe or you know even bigfoot money know, bigfoot money yeah, or or yeah, or alien money, or you know, like no one's, no one, you know, or they've been people have been affected, but no one's ever stole something from the ship. You know what I mean? Like of all of the encounters, right? It's almost like it's too perfect, right? There's too perfect. So maybe we're not doing this with physical flesh and blood creatures like you or me, um, because they never screw up. I was um, incorrect. I was it wasn't Crypticon. It was Paramania. Paramania, okay. The guy who ran Paramania, so it wasn't right. Crypticon. Well, still, it, it's, yeah. it's 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 I can same, see same the, diff, yeah. Yeah, and I can see the, 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 the problem it creates, right? People want to problematize the fact that, that no one's ever bagged a Bigfoot or no one's ever just managed to steal anything off an alien ship or, you know, get anything, like the aliens never left anything behind. Like it, this, okay, so can I vent for a minute here about UFOs for a second, like briefly? Please, feel free. I need to get this off my Vent-a-way. chest. Vent do it. <laughs> right, so, so I've spoken to people said listen i you know i believe it's flesh and blood aliens i've been abducted i've made contact blah blah blah, and they just they're very careful and cautious and they never leave anything behind they've never left anything behind they're very careful and cautious and they don't want to disrupt our evolution or they don't want to disrupt our system so that we don't become wise to them and suddenly they become an enemy blah 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 so they're incredibly incredibly intelligent 
And then I will look at them and say, in like in the same, and then I'll say, but they manage to crash flying saucers all the time into the desert, right? Like they crash a lot within like UFO discourse. There's like tons of UFO crashes all the time. They crash in Antarctica, they crash in New Mexico, they crash in Arizona, they crash in California. So they're, they're stupid enough to crash their ships into deserts, but they're not stupid enough to not leave behind, you know, a beer can every once in a while. Come on. Anyway, vent over. Don't Sorry. they drink uh, uh, curdled milk? Yeah. Oh, and in the 18, they, they, man, <laughs> and in like the 1800s, they ate pancakes. They would trade pancakes yes. for, for like water or whatever. Like, it, like ugh. God, that's a great Sorry. story, though. It is glorious. Anyway, let's get back to let's get back to the. I don't want to. De- I don't want to derail your show. <laughs> no, it's cool. I'm sorry, Nish. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, since we're on this, what is the distinct and and this ties all of this really ties in in Oxmente, and we haven't veered off in in other like other shows have. <laughs> However, so what what is a ghost to you, MJ? What or what are the varying degrees of what that phenomena possibly is? Sure, I, I think it ties in. I think it ties into what I spoke to before, right? We're we're dealing with some sort of. Um, let's say we're dealing with some sort of intelligent other, whatever it is, some sort of intelligent other, it's going to manifest how it manifests. Um, and and it, it, like I said, it uses us as a sort of like a, a sounding board. I think, I think there is, and I'm going to make a bold claim here. I, I think there's fundamentally no difference between um, the UFO phenomenon and the ghost phenomenon. I think they're part of the same thing. Um, I think they're just, I think whatever the intelligence is, is it's, it's modeling itself or it's shaping itself in, in different ways to different people or to groups of people um, in a, a sort of a, a co-creative process. Um, Greg Bishop is a, a UFO researcher and, and, and he sort of argued that there's, he, he's created this hypothesis called the co-creation hypothesis. Um, and I, I'm sort of springboarding off of that a little bit. But it, like I said, it uses us um, to, to, to take form. And I, I'm going to argue that that ghosts are are the same thing. Um, some people see UFOs. Some people see ghosts. Some people are haunted by UFOs and alien beings. Some people are haunted by what they believe to be the souls of the dead. Um, that's that's my current belief structure. Have you um, heard Whitley Strieber's diatribe on this? Um, I, I've read a lot of Whitley Strieber. I haven't heard his diatribe. Why? What does he say? Basically, the, the, it's the same thing. Same thing, uh, yeah. His wife apparently is visiting him now or communicating okay. with him, so that's kind of the, the message he's getting. At least that's what I heard him say about a year ago. Right, yeah. I, 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 I think it was the THC episode he was on. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't, again, recall off the top of my head, but that's, that's sort of where, where I, I stand, I think, to answer your question about ghosts. Um, I, I'm not totally convinced that um ghosts are are um like spirits of of the deceased um i i don't think there's enough evidence to make that claim i think we can believe that um and i think that that people will will have encountered ghosts to the point where, where they all kind of have that in that that sort of again that, that that belief system that that's what i think it is um but i i think that that there's a similar possible sort of argument that can be made that it's not the spirits of the dead, that it's, that it's the phenomenon, whatever it is, this intelligent other using your 
filters, your memories, your, your, again, your, your upbringing, your cultural background, whatever to, to create itself so that you can, you can encounter it in some way. I'm reminded of, of the famous scene at the end of the film contact where Jodie Foster, um, sort of goes through the, the, I can call it a wormhole, I guess, to the alien sort of planet or the alien place, whatever it is. The, the dimension 1990s of the DMT experience. Right. Yeah. And she, and she, and she ends up on this beach that she was always on as a kid and she's greeted by her father. Right. And, and the, the aliens sort of tell her that, listen, this is the only way we can communicate with you. Um, this is the only way that we can, we can show ourselves to you because um, our natural look or our natural state is so unfathomable. Um, it, 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 you wouldn't be able to comprehend. So we have created a, a place for you that you know, you know, you grew up on this beach um, and, and we've taken the shape of your father who's now, who's, who's long deceased um, to, to engage with you. Um, and she sort of has this moment with, with her dad um, and, and he sort of, you know, like sand through an hourglass. These are the days of our lives. He kind of tells her basically in a, in a more convoluted way. And, and she goes back to home and earth and wherever. Um, so I think that that's sort of a similar process that we're experiencing when it comes to ghosts you had mentioned earlier or alluded to the observation creates the phenomena where it's latent energy uh i can't in my notes here got a little sloppy but it, sure. the latent energy through observation like these entities or whatever they are this energy this latent energy kind of manifests around our ideas of observance so if we start thinking the thought and with like hauntings and or cryptids all the stuff that's tied in it it somehow wait awakens that and we anthropomorphize right. these, these being into into being by the, the power of observance which we we know is also scientifically viable yeah uh, i i spoke about this in um Again, I, like, I can't prove any of this, so I, I want to make sure the audience is well aware of this. Like, I don't necessarily make truth claims. This is just, again, my, my personal belief system that I'm arguing for, um, my personal philosophy, let's say. Um, I argue this in, in I, I did a review of, of Dan, Dana and Greg Newkirk's, there they are again, um, film Hellier, or their six-part series on YouTube. It's really great. If you haven't seen Hellier, I'm going to plug it. Let's go see Hellier. Um, it's on YouTube. It's free. They, they, they have this interesting moment. It's in episode two or three where they're talking about um, how the paranormal manifests. Um, and they, they, I speak about it in my review because the, the idea is that um, the paranormal is actually all around us. Um, the, this, this other, whatever it is, um, it sort of surrounds us all the time. We, we, we sort of exist with it. We coexist with it. Um, and it's only when we sort of go to the window and open it and look out that, that it kind of appears to us in some way. Um, and it can appear in a lot of different ways, right? Again, it's using you as, as a sort of sounding board to, to have some sort of, um, engagement with you. Um, for some people it's going to manifest in, in frightening and, and, and horrible, terrifying ways. And for some people it's going to be peaceful and happy and, and, and soothing and calm good what's bad for us is good for it i don't know um so i think you know okay i'm getting stuck in philosophy here but um i think my claim is is that we're kind of surrounded by it all the time um i'm not a believer in in paranormal hotspots i'm not a believer in in haunted houses i'm not a believer in any of that 
Um, I think it's, it's everywhere. Um, and I think certain people are just sometimes um, through maybe training or, or through natural insight or talent or whatever, um, perception are able to, to engage with it perhaps a little more effectively than other people. Um, you know, it could be genetic, it could be, I don't know, but, but I think there's, there's some argument to be made for that. Um, but, but I think anyone can, can kind of perceive it in some way. We've all had those moments of, of walking down the, the street and having that feeling like we're being watched um, only to turn around and there's no one there. Um, but we could swear, right, that, that we had that feeling and, and it was real. Or um, we've, all, we've all had that experience where we see something out of the corner of our eye that, that sort of darted by. And, and when we look, you know, there's nothing there, but you know, we could swear we, we saw something. Um, so I think that, that, that we're all kind of um, paranormalists in some way. We can all engage with it in some way. Um, it's just how you, you go about it, I think, is, is part of it. Um, I think that there's, there's ways of doing it. Um, I'm just, I'm not an expert in that field, unfortunately, but I've spoken to enough people that I could probably argue for that there is some way of, of, of being proficient at, at, at seeing the paranormal all around us. What, so with all this, how do you perceive you're dead? So and when I say you're dead, I bring this to the personal level. Those that you know personally that have passed on, if you know any including animals, where, where does this play in? And have you encountered them, say, in other states of consciousness, like in a liminal state through meditation or in dreams, uh, you know, even an act of imagination where they come through in a solid way? Right. Yeah. I, I would say I've never, I've never, I've never encountered it in a way that I would argue is, 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 is in a paranormal nature, but I, I would definitely say that, that, um, you know, obviously I've had, I've had dreams where, where, where dead family members, you know, appeared in those dreams and, and we would speak or communicate or we would, you know, hang out together. Um, so, so that's definitely occurred several times. I, I can, I can recall sort of a couple of those, um, just right now. Um, but, but that's about it. I, I you know, I'm, I'm not sure if, if I've ever really had a moment where, you know, in a waking experience, um, I've, I've, I mean, I've been reminded of, of, you know, dead family, you know, maybe I'll, I'd be in a grocery store and I'd see someone that looks like my grandfather and I'd be like, holy crap, that's my grandfather. And then, you know, realize, oh no, it's not. Um, but it, you know, you're almost positive, um, that it was, um, th that, you know, like the doppelganger kind of thing. Um, um, so, so, you know, I've had that, um, but nothing sort of I would say nothing stranger out of the ordinary. I think a lot of people have dreams about their, their dead family and, and, and um, have sort of had those moments in the grocery store. <laughs> Do you, so you, you said, at least you alluded to the fact that you, you did have these dreams. Do you recall a couple you could share with us? Yeah, I think, I think the, the one I had most recently, this was probably uh, four or five months ago. Um, my, my grandfather, uh, so this is my, my mother's father, passed away sort of several years ago uh, of old age. They like, the guy was like 92, um, lived a long, happy, healthy life. Um, so he passed away and, and it wasn't sort of shocking or surprising. It just sort of happened. Um, and it was expected. Um, the, the, the dream was, you know, we were in, I was in his house, uh, his old house in, in his kitchen. And we were just, you know, um, drinking tea and, 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 
um, sitting around the, the table as we we did for for ages. Like that was sort of the vast majority of my my memories of of my grandfather were were sitting at his kitchen table and we would be like eating lunch or or you know having tea and and, and eating cookies or toast or, or something like that. Right, the, the sort of the communal table meal idea, and we just sort of sat there and 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 talked. Um, and then we went outside into his garden in, in his backyard and, and we sort of, you know, worked in the garden a bit and, and sat around and, and, you know, picked weeds. It was like a very kind of plain experience, but it was, it was very peaceful and soothing, right? Because it's, it was um, sort of a taste of what it used to be like, right? It was, um, it, I wouldn't say it was a memory because I was very much my age um, because I often complained in the dream how, you know, my back was sore from pulling weeds um, when, you know, when you're eight, that's not a factor. Um, so it, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was very, very plain and simple. Um, but it was, like I said, very, very calm and it was, and you know, whether it was purposeful, um, on, on the part of, of my grandfather or purposeful on the part of, of some other divinity, um, or, or intelligence, I, I can't speak to that, but, um, it, 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 it was a very interesting little dream that, that I still remember to, you know, several months after the fact that, and it was just kind of occurred. With, with that, what does, so in general, your dreamscape, so earlier you mentioned you don't recall your dreams often mm -hmm. and, and then that still holds true, correct? Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't tell you what I've dreamt for the last month. Like I couldn't, I couldn't sit here and say, I recall a dream. Do you, so without the, the, the recall of say the visual stuff, do you recall moods at all? So when you wake up and say that all the dream imagery is gone you don't have no memory of dreaming do you wake up with moods that could have possibly been connected you know potentially um i'm 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 in this state in my life where i have two very young children i have a daughter who's four yes. and a son who's two <laughs> <laughs> so um i have to be honest i'm my so sorry sleep. Yeah, my 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 sleep time, I would say, is and my 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 mental state um, in my sleep is to basically allow my body to recharge because I know that the next day is you know going to be just running around and being exhausted. Um, so, so I you know again, I think I think maybe I, I don't remember dreams because my body is so damn tired it doesn't even bother. It's just like you know what, man, just recharge. We're just not gonna. Like if there is if there is some weird intelligence pulling my dreams, it's being like, listen, bro, you you fought hard enough today. We're just gonna leave you alone. <laughs> we'll call you when they're sixteen. Um, you know what I mean? Like that's that's what it's gonna that's what's gonna happen. I think. Um, well, in other in other periods, say where, where things were less on the go, if that's even sure. a thing these days, right? Uh, where, where say you knew you dreamed. And yet you can't have the, you don't have the recall of the dreams. Does mood play a part in the experience for you in the past? It's um, a really tough question because I, I, I'd have to really think about it. Um, I would say that, that there's definitely been moments where, you know, you wake, I wake, I've woken up, you know, being sort of angry and irrational. And I've woken up feeling totally happy and 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 um, you know ecstatic, um, but I like I, I can't necessarily speak to the you know I can't I can't comment as to whether it's it's because of dreams or not because I just don't recall um, 
and my memory is awful. Um, that, that also doesn't help. So yeah, I, you know, I, I wish I could answer your question in, in a more meaningful and, 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 and actual way, but I, I just can't. Um, well, you yeah. said, you know, that's a significant statement. My memory is awful in conjunction with the fact that you, you don't re recall your, I, know I don't recall my dreams. No, yeah. I don't. Like I wake Those, up in the morning, don't remembering, I don't remember a single dream. And that's completely uh, congruent with the fact that you would say your memory's awful in general, because they're, they're really connected to the same thing. It's right. all kind of the, not now, after the fact, right? It's all the past. And uh, so I wanted to get into that. So like in the pre-show, when you said, you, you know, there's not a lot of dreaming going on, this is always where the, all the juicy philosophizing happens. Mm -hmm. And where we talk about it on that level, which you've brilliantly brought into this chit chat tonight. So what, what do you think is going on with dreams in general as a function for at least sentient beings? I mean, we have to just kind of go there with, with presenting it on that level with sentience. Yeah. Um, I, 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 so good. Um, because I, I've got a minor in philosophy, this is thoroughly enjoyable for me. Um, listen, I, I'm a. I think I think I'm 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 a bit more woo than I care to admit. Like I'm I'm very much a skeptical person. I'm very much sort of uh, scientifically minded. Um, however, I I do carry with myself a sort of romanticism, um, because I I do think there is something significant about dreams. Um, and not in just a, a defragmentation of the mind or the brain from a neurological standpoint, but from a accessing of, of, of a sort of a different place. Um, again, I, I can't I can't make any truth claims, but but I, I do believe that that the dream world is is a sort of real place um, where where real things do occur. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Canadian. So, uh, where I live, um, the, the, the indigenous group that, that is sort of, that, that sort of populated this land before, um, the newcomers came, um, which is us, um, they, 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 in, in, in the Anishinaabe, which is the, the language group, the sort of the cultural group of the people who, who are here and still are here, um, they're, they're, the way they structured their reality was um, in in one um, spectrum. So so the waking world and and the dream world were not two separate worlds. Um, rather, they 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 intermingled and and bled together all the time. And and you would never um, say that that the waking world was more important than the dream world, or you would because because aspects of the dream world would would filter into the waking. And aspects of the waking would filter into the dream, and and you existed in in both of these worlds simultaneously, and you existed in both of these worlds, um, very in, in in a very real way. Um, so so you know you could you could cease to be both in in the waking world, but you could also cease to be in the dream world as well. Um, so you had to be very cautious. Um, and, and and all Anishinaabe philosophy kind of filters around this notion, this this idea that that we live along this, this sort of spectrum of, of world, um, not worlds, but world. Um, and, and dreams are um, a place and dreams take you and, 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 and you, 
see him again. I, I'm getting words are getting lost in translation because they, they would have a, a much more elegant way of stating this in their own language or their own languages. But um, we, I'm a firm believer that, that they're, they're onto something. Um, I'm a firm believer that, that, that there is something to be said for the fact that the dreams are a real thing, not just a psychological manifestation there's there's something very very objective to them in the sense that the things within dreams have um time and place and and mass and 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 we can in it they're physical in some way they're not maybe physical in the same way the waking world is physical but they do have a physicality um so so yeah from a, from a philosophy standpoint that's kind of where i stand i, I really appreciate this this mindset um because it opens you up to to a lot more possibilities um i think when it comes to to um one what reality is um and and a lot of cutting edge science is now starting to really look into this weird world that that exists outside of our sort of daily reality um into this odd micro world um and it really starts to throw wrenches into into um what we think is real um, and and um, if, 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 you know, Anishinaabe cultures, such as the Ojibwe and the Cree, all, all, and the Dene all kind of have similar philosophies, you know, there's gotta be a reason for it. Um, and, and I, I think that, that you become much more connected to the world around you in a sense, because the rest of the world also has dreams too. Um, and, and what does that say about us as, as people, as communities, um, who have to live together? Um. You know, I, yeah, I think I think it's incredibly compelling. So that's that's my that's my position on on the dream world. I think it's a very real place, um, and and it's not. Yeah, I'll stop there because I, I I'll let you guys go. <laughs> well, well, juxtaposing that, so let's move into reality. What what makes this have such? And of course, we're just we're philosophizing here. This mm -hmm. is everything is opinion based. I mean, you can certainly cite scientific stuff if you want but this is this is the fun of nox mente so what makes this this apparent reality acute what what brings us to a consistent state of lucidity within it sure. where it feels so valid and real and uh with everything the constraints we feel the love we feel all this vividness well i i mean obviously i think we're dealing with with again sort of from purely biological evolutionary standpoint you know we we've had to become very acute here um you know you have to be able to see the bear and run away from it you have to be able to locate food or or deal with um conflict um in a very real way where, where perhaps in, in you know, potentially the, the, the more dream reality, those things aren't um, as, as threatening or, or they're not as prevalent or, or they, they don't exist in the same way they do here. Um, the, the, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's in the body or, or if consciousness in part is tied to our body in some way, um, which I think we can argue it is because I'm walking around and I'm self-aware. Um, the consciousness, at least in, in some way, resides or at least is tied to my physical structure. Um, it's going to work very hard to maintain that physical structure. 
um, so that you know it doesn't get shuffled um, and 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 eaten by a bear. So so I think that that that's part of it. I think I think we have to be acute because our pure our survival purely depends on it. Um, that that that's my argument, or at least that that's my my claim regarding it. I I, I would also say there's 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 a lot of again you know the world around you, you, you perceive it, um, like you perceive the table in front of you or the microphone or the laptop or, or the light bulb or your phone or whatever, they're physically there. Um, but what those things actually are in some objective state, you know, we don't know. We've, we've worked very hard as, as a society and as cultures to create sort of reality for ourselves that, that is recognizable and easy to process. Um, you know, the phone or the laptop or the table is only those things because we've all agreed that that's what it is on a cultural level. Um, outside of us, the table, the phone, and the laptop are very different things. Um, so, you know, that, I think that's another aspect. We've, we've, we've created um, an ideological importance or the sense of physical self. Um, you know, I am me is, is a very ideological claim and, and I need to survive in order to be happy, in order to have love, in order to exist, um, in order to have any worth or value, um, you know, these are again ideological claims we've we've all sort of agreed to, and we've we've structured our societies based upon those claims. So, with using the analogy earlier of we've had to become acute because of the the, the perils, you know, yeah, the, bear the bear or the yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about what about the full spectrum of senses that we know exist that we actually don't have access to that we're aware of, uh, you know, uh, yeah. the full visual spectrum, the Clara spectrum of, of psychic senses. Is it possible? Where does that all play in? Because I think if we were to engage or suddenly have access to them, Things like the shadow man and 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 this could also filtrate to whatever the other is and however we anthropomorphize it yeah. start to appear and possibly there are threats. I mean, we understand there's a lot of talk always about parasitical beings on us and stuff, right. but that's a threat. So how does that all play into this idea? Right. Well, you know, the, the you know here's the thing: like the beauty of evolution. From, from a strictly biological, scientific, materialist sense, right? Evolution is, is a very beautiful and elegant system because it, it creates and it works towards the survival of the organism, uh, the best possible survival of the organism. So it could be argued then from a strictly materialist scientific standpoint that these other spectrums of, of, of perception um, as well as these other entities or these intelligences or whatever, do not necessarily pose a direct physical threat. Therefore, um, we the, the evolution would would naturally filter out um, over millions of years uh, the fact that the shadow man is not a real threat in any physical way, maybe in a psychological way, but that doesn't matter because fundamentally you need to run away from the bear, not the shadow man, because the shadow man isn't going to eat you and your family, but the bear will. Um, so, so from a, from a, again, just from the passing on of genetic material, um, you know, it, it, we don't necessarily need to be able to see in these other spectrum or we don't necessarily need to be able to 
to to um, you know engage with psi phenomena in a very acute way because it doesn't help our survival directly. Um, what complicates all this as well is the fact that you know, humans um, very early on um, in sort of eh, you know one eh, roughly like a million years ago or so sort of homo erectus running around like that that when we sort of were in that stage of our existence um you know we very quickly realized that that working together being social and using technology did a lot of great stuff for us so so we didn't necessarily need to be able to have an awareness of the bear in some psychological sense or some parapsychological sense i didn't need to remote view the bear because i have fire and the fire just keeps the bear away anyway um so it's a lot easier for me just to to have fire and do it that way versus versus having to you know do it in any other way um and and tool making was was really a huge leap for us um socially it was a huge leap for us um biologically as well um because with tools comes the ability to consume more calories, brain development increases, you know, we become more social, we can communicate more effectively. Um, and all of a sudden, we're the only animal on the planet that can organize, communicate, build technology, hunt, um, you know, gather large supplies together, and then eventually, you know, be able to surplus our supplies to the point where we can specialize. And now you have people who are specifically one job or specifically another. Um, and suddenly, you know, you have 2019 today, you've had a lot of filtering occurring of, of what do we need to deal with immediately in this reality, in this, 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 this very acute objective reality that's going to keep us alive um, biologically versus, you know, our psychological development or, or our development with, with um, uh, like psi phenomena or, or, or um, an acute awareness of, of other spectrums of, of perception that would potentially allow us to see the shadow man or, or, or these other creatures or beings that, that aren't, you know, within the visible light spectrum, let's say. Um, so I, I, I guess, you know, I would argue that maybe evolution is, is part of the problem, right? Um, technology is, is part of the problem. Um, evolution will always find the simplest, most effective way to keep an organism alive. And this is the route, route we've gone, right? Yes, definitely. And, you know, of course, the shaman comes to mind in cultures and, 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 and even into modern day culture, which has been uh, wonderfully put in Neil Gaiman's book you know, American idols. Uh, American gods. American gods, sorry. Mm -hmm. However, with the, uh, let's travel down this road since I know you listened to the show with Penny. Yeah. And uh, so with this idea in hand, the, the concept of possession. And so we look at it from, we back so backing it backing it up with the psi phenomena of of the spectral senses we know exist that we don't have access to consciously at least uh and how that our organism our bio organism avatar whatever you want to call it can just be and is if you look at it from a religious standpoint too is just a host to what is just commonly known as the soul or your sure. your essence so what if say some of these entities these others that could 
and very well may exist that we are not able to access consciously or see physically because of our limitations are are taking over and and this is why i kind of springboard off the tenny conversation which i know you listen to and it's it's just been a query of mine recently you know where do you see all that blending in here where you could be you but not you you know something could take hijack your shell hijack your body right oh for sure i mean and you have you have a, i mean this is this is ancient i mean you know the vast majority of cultures throughout their histories have have accounts of, of you know possession and, and that type of occurring um and it's interesting you brought up the shaman right because because the shaman is is this great example of of someone who has an acute or at least can can train themselves to have an acute awareness of this other these other realms let's say this other these other perceptive areas of, of reality that that the vast majority of us cannot um and again we 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 saw this today right you have you have countless people who 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 claim that they can communicate with with you know the dead or at least what they perceive to be the dead um so i don't think necessarily that um you know our perception of of these other again i'm using the term realities um doesn't exist i think people do still have access to that i think these events still occur um and i think there's a lot of people who 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 claim abilities um you know i i know someone who says they're a water witch and they can douse water or they can use dousing rights to find water and they're like they're right most of the time so i i would argue that they somehow are able to find water um so so i think that this this sort of perception does still exist um anyone where, can find water stuff why to dig a hole no with with the mining rods oh see well there you go so so you know we do clearly have some sort of ability to still function in this way um so i don't think it's totally gone um i, I think i think maybe just it's part of us and, and shamans are an interesting um idea in in how there's people who who can access these other places and, and interact with these other entities for good or for ill um they can protect us from them right which is sort of the shaman's role typically was to keep the the, the group safe from these attacks from from negative entities or, or, or spirits or whatever you want to call them um and then there's also you know the role of of in an archetypal sense the role of of sort of the witch or the, the the one who who makes the evil deals right the one who engages with the the evil entities and brings them closer to the group right they're the one who who pulls them towards the rest of us and and then obviously the the natural reaction from the rest of us is you know we get rid of the witch um or i, I don't mean to use the term the witch but you know it's just again i'm using an archetypal claim oh yeah or, yeah it works in context here right yeah um i'm not saying witches are bad um they're nice people um the 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 notion of possession is interesting right because again the you know how often does the 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 thing which possesses sort of directly kill the host right um and and more importantly you know does your biology is is your are the cells in your body and your and your dna aware of this right um which is which is a very intriguing idea because again evolution is only gonna is only gonna work in the sense that it, it deals on a deal with reality on a biological or material sense so if you're dealing with something that's immaterial you know is the body going to recognize that it's not you inside you and you're being controlled the husk is being controlled by something else um that isn't biological because again ultimately you know in 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 any biological sense you know 
viruses are, are designed to do just that, right? They enter your body and they try to take control. Um, and then your body goes into high gear to get rid of the virus, right? It starts fighting it um, and it attacks it on a biological sense. It's a biological enemy. Um, the same thing, if anything physical or material enters your body, your body will react and it will attack the foreign object. Um, so, so it's interesting, right? So now we're not necessarily dealing with a foreign object. We're not dealing with something physical. We're dealing with something immaterial, something that the body biologically can't deal with. Therefore, evolution would have no interest in filtering it out or, or dealing with it in any real sense, in any acute way. It would just be like, eh, whatever, I'm still alive, who cares? Um, so when it comes to possessions, this, this is interesting, right? Because then automatically you could kind of stipulate, well, one, that means demons or, 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 or any possessing force isn't physical in any way. It doesn't enter the body like a physical object would or a, 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 a living creature would like a, a bacterium or, or a virus. Um, it's something else, right? It's something non-physical, non-corporeal. Um, and and it's interesting, right? Because then, you know, does consciousness itself have an evolutionary process to fight those things? Um, you know, is, does consciousness undergo evolution just like the body does or just like, you know, our cells have? Um, this is an interesting idea. I've never really thought about it. Wow. who do, I, I, I'm, I, I'm going down a different road now. I never considered that, this. That's a common belief structure, I would say, of the people who say, who communicate with the quote unquote dead and they say you know this is a learning experience and we're we're evolving our consciousness by being here right and 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 i can i can i can sort of appreciate that um you know again as, as someone who's who's catholic um de, you know demonic possession is a very real aspect of of the faith right um it's 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 a tenant of of being catholic um demons are a thing right they're an objective everything is demons not everything no. a lot of things are demons joke. it's, a joke. Um, yeah, it's no, one no, of jerry's just, jokes no no it, it, a lot of things are demons but not all things um yeah no i i, I get the joke but it's um um it, it, it's 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 curious right because again as, as someone who is scientifically minded I, i'm often engaged in this sort of ideological struggle right i i i personally as a as a skeptic and as a scientist as a, as a person who's scientifically minded i don't necessarily buy into that right but as a catholic i have to um so i'm, I'm kind of stuck again in this odd liminal realm of, of of um of belief systems you know um you know do i believe in demons or don't i um and and what does that say about me as a person or as a catholic or, or whatever and, um, and does believing in them allow you to manifest them or communicate you know what i mean is belief a sure part of that structure that model yeah, it depends who you talk to, right? Uh, you know, a, 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 a theologian, a Catholic theologian would say, no, they exist whether you believe in them or not. Um, and, and a skeptic would say they don't exist at all or, or you know, uh, a paranormal, you know, uh, someone who believes in, in more paranormal um, structures or constructs would say, well, you know, yeah, if you believe in them, they become real. And if you mm -hmm. don't believe in them, they can't hurt you, right? Um, so, you know, again, there's there's a lot of, differentiated ideas present in, in, in how we discuss this and, and how the discourse functions around them. Um, and, so, but we still have to factor in all of this, the science that's come to light in, you know, that we know about with it, which is again, back to the spectral, the spectrum of what we perceive as reality. And so 
they have a case. The Catholics are people who are talking demons have have a real case there. In my opinion, there's we don't know. Oh, you know, for sure, can, and we can measure these things, and and that's what those of you that are investigators are trying to do. But right now, we just don't empirically know. Sure. Yeah, and and, and like, uh, I'll give I'll give I'll give the the Catholic Church some some academic credit. Um, they they don't like they're very cautious um, before they label anything sort of a demonic possession. Like any person who claims to be possessed in the Catholic Church has to go. Through, there's like a lot of steps before it's actually labeled a legitimate possession. Like the person has to go see a psychiatrist. Like that that's a requirement. Um, so, so like the amount of exorcisms that actually occur are, they're very rare. Um, but, but th there's a lot of, of hoops that have to get jumped through before, you know, an exorcism is, is legitimately performed, at least within sort of the official Roman Catholic church. But uh, as it, you know, it only takes one MJ. That's right. And, but in, in, <laughs> in other, you know, in other, I can't speak for other Christian denominations, right. Um, because I'm, I, I am not aware of, of how they, they deal with this phenomenon. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, the Catholic church has, has a long history of, of engaging with, with sort of the demonic, um, and, and cataloging it. And, and I would argue that if they're performing a real exorcism, there's been a lot of due diligence that's been done. Um, again, you know, I, I struggle, right. Because I, I, I'm not sure if I necessarily believe in it totally yet, or, or maybe I'm just, I'm on that journey. Um, who knows, but yeah, it's 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 a thing, right? There's a lot of people who who would say that yes, you know, this is a real phenomenon that occurs. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'll sit on the I don't know at this point. Yeah, it, well, this this I loved to talk on this level, and you know, that's why the Tenny conversation was so enjoyable because you know we allow ourselves that that liminal space of of communication with others like with you and we, this has just been so uh juicy as <laughs> i like to say a lot and a wonderful conversation with you uh that i, mean, I can't even believe how the time is flying i i don't want to i know that we try to keep it at two hours i know you you have a lot going on so i wanted to make sure if there were any questions from those listening that they have an opportunity to get those into you i yeah, have totally i haven't asked yet but i will if anyone has a question let's put them in the chat someone did ask philip blair asked if you've researched any friendly possession um i i'm actually not i i've never researched possessions really um i i've done a bit of reading on the subject matter um but i i would I, i'm not an expert in the in that sort of field of study so i in my reading i have never um encountered that um however you know the vast majority of my reading is is approached from um uh, a more of a, a catholic perspective on the subject so i don't think within sort of the catholic world it would be it would be known as a possession if it was friendly um I, or or it is friendly and it's like deceiving you because that would still be a demon i guess i i don't know i'm not an expert so i'm, I'm not going to go down that road um there's probably better experts to talk to um in regards to, to possession phenomena Okay. You don't Sorry, have to be, I, don't I, have to be an expert. Okay, yeah. I think, I, I mean, I can speak, you know, in regards to UFOs and, 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 um, you know, alien contact experiences. A lot of people have, have, have said that, you know, 
um, sometimes during contact experiences, um, they become possessed in a sense by the being that that they're channeling or or the being is is using them as a sort of conduit to communicate. Um, you know, that happens often within within sort of the UFO discourse. Yeah. You'll have, you know, people who claim to be channelers um, and they're channeling interdimensional beings or aliens on faraway planets and they sort of become possessed by that that entity and then it, it speaks through them. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I'm not sure how many of them are legitimate, how many of them are, are, are just actors um, versus sort of the authentic ones, um, because it's very difficult um, to, to prove any of it. Um, and I think the, the big litmus test, at least for me, is, is you know, if they're charging you money um, or they're making a profit by doing it, I, I'm not really sure if, how, how legitimate they can be. Um, or removing your alien implants that's another good scam there you go yeah exactly right and they they don't actually remove anything like they remove their alien your alien implant and then they tell you it's a metaphysical implant it's not a real physical yeah, it's, implant it's, in your it's aura. like it's like an aspect yeah it's like an aspect of of your 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 consciousness that's it's, been implanted yeah it's an and etheric like, parasite yeah, it's it really there. There is no implant. It's 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 just like a, a thing in your. It's like a symbol in your heart. Like that's you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, it's a thought form. Once yeah, you decide then, that you have one, you that's you, right. You probably and, create and it you yourself, to, <clears throat> and you have to pay them 150 bucks cash up front for them to to remove it. Yeah. Um, you know that that's that's a real sticking point. Hmm. So friendly, I guess, in a way. <laughs> yeah, I agree with the monies and all that chicanery that goes on because traditionally we see this it's still it's still out there traditionally people that were helping and we see this with the shamans and in in certain witches and you know outsiders that were healers of different kinds uh did these services because it's what they it was like gifted to a gift they they came in with and uh and this is the mythos around a lot of it and and therefore it it wasn't something there there's a barrier there in trade that goes on like this is your gift this is what you give to the community right and, and so in the modern world i can understand i can understand one needing to make a living but and and for as long as we can think in the modern world too, with uh, and I just don't want to use any trigger words, but with people that have charged money for services like this, that you know are just absurd, and so it it it's uh, it 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 casts a terrible shadow on those that are actually doing the real work and helping and uh, and the phenomena that may be going on, even if it's just purely psychological. And I think that, that that's a, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing. You know, it's one of the reasons why I've, I've never personally charged for tarot readings. I've been a longtime tarot reader and uh, I've done donations, certainly, but I don't expect them. And this is way back when I, I don't do it anymore just for close friends, but way back when I was doing it for, you know, kind of a living. And I just, it wasn't like, oh, half hours this, hours that. And then, you know, otherwise you don't charge and you have people putting the bug in your ear that your time's worth something. 
then you invest in that and then the great wheel keeps on turning i got rent i've got this it's this reality mj is so complex in these ways mm -hmm. that i think some of this otherness that is beautiful and spiritual and magical gets tied down in all of that and then there are the cons the snake oil sellers that come in and take advantage of that who could be considered the demons or the parasitical ones right yeah i mean you know a ball of mess <laughs> i think i think you know within within you know traditional cultures like ancient cultures where where shamans played um, a vital role within the community you know the community didn't have to deal with a capitalist system of economics right um the community was communal um the shaman was fed because the shaman provided a service um and the shaman was not expected to go hunt but but rather you know did his or her thing um and that was was part of just the society they lived in um where today you know you're 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 you have we live in a world where where you have to sell your labor um in order to eat and um it's not necessarily about you know a, a fair contribution or anything like that it's just about uh, you know nepotism and, and it's about um survival, purely survival <laughs> in yeah and and you know you owe your money and you know you owe money to the bank and you owe money to your your, your credit card and whatever so we live in a very different world um where where the 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 metaphysical um almost cannot like properly exist or or function in in a in a capitalist state um you know capitalism as a system is so and is such an antithesis to to like this metaphysical realm that we've been discussing for the last two hours um that, that the two can't go hand in hand because they're totally incongruent um you know the notion that we ought to help each other and defend against um you know potential harm from from unseen foes and and we're all in this together um is directly in contradiction to to the capitalist mentality where you literally need to like step on other people in order to make more money and, and survive and survive better quote unquote um service so, to others versus service to self to self exactly right i mean um so so there there's it's unfortunate right so so you have let's say people who have um gifts or talents in, in and the ability to engage with perhaps the more metaphysical realm or 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 um these these other states of reality that, that the vast majority of us perhaps are, are not as good at accessing um and and i get it they have to eat um but yet there's almost like a, a moral or or more moral duty to to help others anyway um you know, like, like, is could there could it potentially or eventually be argued that there's a good Samaritan law when it comes to like parapsychology or, or or warding off evil spirits? You know what I mean? Like, if you saw someone getting mugged, you have to call the police, right? It's like the good Samaritan thing to do, right? You have a moral duty to help. Um, Depends on who it is. I guess so, yeah. But you know, like, if somebody's having a heart attack on the street, you're sort of morally obligated to call nine one one, right, and stay mm -hmm. with them. Right. Like one could argue that if you didn't, if someone was having a heart attack on the street and you walked away and said, ah, not my problem, you would, you know, you're not exactly a good moral agent. Someone could argue um, in, in Canada, like you could be held liable. Right. Like so where I'm from, if somebody has a heart attack on the street, you have to stay with them and call 911 um, because you're partially responsible. Right. Um, at least in, in most cases. So, because we have a very strong Good Samaritan law here. And if you don't, the dude might haunt you if he dies. 
that's another problem that mm-hmm. you have to face, right? Mm-hmm. And I just don't need that on me. <laughs> Nobody does. Um, so, you know, could it be argued that, you know, if you have the, the gift, right? And you can, and you can, if somebody's in peril and you know it, aren't you morally obligated to kind of inform them or do you have to charge money for that first? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's an odd, it's an odd thing to think about um, how, how the, the culture of, of paranormal and, and new age communities. And I hate the term new age. I just, it's just, again, for context, we all know what that means. I agree. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, we, we, like, yeah, we can just, we're just using it as a term just to appreciate the, the, the group we're talking about it's, Everybody a, C- knows. it's a cia program we all know it yeah so you have this you know there's this this odd cultural discrepancy right um between between the the belief systems and and the belief structures and the frameworks that exist within paranormal communities and that exist in new age communities about you know peace love and and serving others yet in the same breath they exist within this sort of broader capitalist state which is not about that right um, it's about the bottom line and making as much money as you can for your shareholders and 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 um, for yourself, uh, where 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 one's wealth dictates value. Um, so so you know you have this weird juxtaposition, right? And and in my book, um, I argue that that you know a lot of paranormal communities are countercultural in nature, right? They 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 rub up against this mainstream ideological framework because they can't coexist, um, and 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 there's significant there's significant conflict there. Yet, in the same t- at the same sort of time, you have this sort of odd handshake agreement that exists um, because New Age again, I hate the term, sorry, but New Age conferences, paranormal conferences, UFO conferences, are still there to earn money in order to make profit, um, in order to have more conferences, as well as pay the people who are involved and and put money in the pocket of the organizers to to kind of keep that ball rolling, right? Um, it becomes a, a job or a career, right? You sell your labor for profit. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of weird cultural blend. I like kind of talking about it and thinking about it because that's kind of my it's my jam. Um, so it, I just find it very interesting and compelling. I don't know why I brought it up. It's cool. Shamanism, totally cool. that's why. Yeah, shamanism. <laughs> so I got two more questions, and one of them they're probably both going to be long. So the first one is was what do you think of Jacques Vallée's work his theories? Yeah, um, I can keep this short. Um, Jacques Vallée's theories are, are are incredibly important. I think they're they're incredibly influential mm-hmm. um, within not even just UFO discourse, but within paranormal discourse. Because a, a lot of of my personal beliefs when it comes to the phenomenon stem from the the work that he's produced. Um, just sort of extrapolating forward on them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I, I think Jacques Vallée is is a, a an essential read for anyone interested in the paranormal. Um, Absolutely, and and I'll stop there. I get that answers the question. Okay, great. And then you can just go as long as you want on this one. So um, I forgot who asked this. It was Philip. No, it was Chimpertainment. Thank you, Chimpertainment. What do what do you think is happening in out of body experiences? Do we actually have an astral body, so to speak, or do you think it's more like bilocating or non local consciousness? Oh man. <sighs> Such a good That's one. a good one. Yeah, because you know, well, okay. So, like, I, I, my caveat always is, I don't know. Yeah, of but, course. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I. Yes. Okay. So I'll I'll say this. I I do believe that that um an aspect or or I I do believe that consciousness itself is is a structure that exists um outside of of us um. 
I, I believe it's tied to to my physical body um, in some way because it's I I think therefore I am, um, but on on the flip side, I think that there's there's sort of this extension of it outwards um, because we 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 know that that you know through through the research done by let's say like the Institute of Noetic Science for example, um, people can can people can influence other people's decisions or, 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 or influence the, the material world around them via thinking or via consciousness, right? There's enough data out there that proves that psi phenomenon are, are, are real. real. It's real. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, a whole Maharaji and, effect thing too. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, even just, you know, like the, the, the types of tests they've done that have scored so high above chance. I mean, you know, something right. is happening. Um, and couple that with like the wisdom of the crowd type of a phenomena. Right. Yeah. And you've got like this whole ball yeah. of wax, like what the hell is going on? Yeah. yeah one of the, right. one of the most interesting things I was told, and again, I can't verify if it's true or not, but um, because I, it's, it was told me by one person and I, and I've never sort of done any more research. I should, I just didn't, but they, they informed me that um, when, when they train um, snipers in, in the military, um, the, and again, I would love to meet a sniper who could actually verify this for me, apart from the person who told me it. Um, they train the snipers to not bead the target until they're going to squeeze the trigger. Um, because what tends to happen is the target, if the crosshairs are on them too early, or, or if like, they've been beaded by the little red dot thing in the sight too early, um, what happens is the target kind of goes, huh, and then they get out of the way, or they duck, or they get to cover, or they have that feeling of, yeah, something's wrong, right? Because the sniper's so focused on the target that there's a connection it, made. Exactly. So, so, so what they they and, and it tends to happen a lot, apparently, to the point where where training for for American snipers is that you keep the crosshairs off the target, um, and you don't really think about the shot until you're going to make it. So, so the the target is sort of just outside of the the, the bead or the crosshair. Um, and then basically once you get the go to shoot, that's when you, you put it on them and then you squeeze the trigger. So they don't have that, that sense, right. Um, to, to get out of the way or to, to move inside, or even that feeling of just ill ease, which makes them want to go inside. So they start moving around a little more, they become more erratic. Um, a, a sitting target is easier to hit than a moving one. So, um, you know, ultimately we have, we have instances where, where even in, in, in military training, Soldiers are taught to to think differently because their thoughts could potentially affect the 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 the, the objective they're trying to achieve. So so clearly, there's enough evidence to to suggest that consciousness is not local as well, right? If my thoughts can can affect other things, clearly there there's something going on here. Consciousness is able to, to leave me in some way and and interact with the world around me. Um, Yet it is still tied to me, right? Because again, I, I sit here and I and I am aware of myself in this room that I'm talking to you on this podcast, and I'm I'm aware of the things I'm saying, and I have a general awareness of my existence. Um, so it's almost like, you know, do we leave or or are we are we do we reside in sort of these both realms, or or is it maybe more complicated than that? Um, so I don't necessarily like the term like astral travel or anything like that because I think it it tries to oversimplify something that's very complicated and nuanced. Um, and, and again, I think there's some, again, some ideological cultural baggage that's attached to that term as well, um, from again, sort of this new agey kind of woo woo 
ideology that's kind of been pushed on us by by the media and and by by pop culture right right Um, but then again you have to ask is is the i'm going to call it programming the programming from media the internet movies whatever uh forming your beliefs to believe you have this astral body and when these people go astral traveling they think that's what it is but it's actually some other experience that we don't actually understand Sure, I, mean? I think that's definitely sure. I think that's, I think that's definitely that's a that's a that's a great way of looking at it. You know, it, we 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 perceive the experience as such because of the media, mm-hmm. um, and and that's how we've come to identify it, and therefore it allows it to occur in some way, right? Um, right, it facilitates it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, that's three questions. That's three more than last week. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well. MJ, do you want to plug anything before we let uh, you go? Sure, yeah, um, I'd love to. Um, my website is Um, It links to all of my work. Um, I have a YouTube channel. Um, every Thursday night, I do uh, a sort of a live show on YouTube. It's really just a conversation with cool people in the paranormal and scientific communities. Um, we just kind of shoot the shit for an hour. Um, so you can check it out on my YouTube channel and that's just youtube.com forward slash MJ Benias. Um, links in the description, everyone links. Great. Uh, yeah, I love your show, by the way. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of chill, but, um, it's, it's fun to do. Um, I write for motherboard. So if you ever see sort of anything UFO related on vice for motherboard, it's probably me. Um, I'm sort of their weird desk. And, um, cool. you know, apart from that, um, my blog's terraobscura.net. My book is on Amazon, The UFO People, A Curious Culture. Please go check it out. Um, yeah, there you go. Plugs in. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Thank you for for coming and, and bringing all this content. It was a very, very enjoyable conversation. Definitely. Absolutely. No, I really appreciate the, the opportunity. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Sure, sure. All right. So hang on one second. I'm going to say goodbye to bye everyone. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week when we have William Ramsey of William Ramsey Investigates. Hopefully we get to hear some good smiley, smiley face killer stories. Bridge pusher <laughs> stories. Yeah. Cool. So this should be a good show. We got some good guests lined up for the next two months. So hope you all enjoy it. And thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone. Much love.